As we come today to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we find ourselves marvelously and providentially in our current study of 1 John in the text of 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. You follow along as I read 1 John 4, verses 1 to 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Within the first century Christian church, and of course no less in our own 21st century context, False teachers were and are ubiquitous. These false teachers in John's own day and in our own as well are ubiquitously promoting various heresies which are then as now intended to deceive people into following certain ideas which will lead them into serious and fatal error especially regarding the person of Christ. The Apostle John warned the Christian church of his day, and we should likewise be warned through his writing that we must avoid the dangerous teaching which denies the reality both of the full humanity and full deity of Jesus Christ. Here in 1 John 4, Verses 1 to 6, John sets out the essential teaching which must be affirmed about the person of Christ as well as the error which at all costs must be denied. In a very simple two-point outline, John gives us a clear set of affirmations and denials regarding the person of Christ. If, for example, you were to talk to someone about the person and the work of Christ, this would be a marvelous text for which you could use in your conversation with that person. Because in 1 John 4, 1 to 6, there are both affirmations and denials about the person and work of Christ that would lend itself beautifully to a conversation if you were to have a conversation with someone, whether in the first 
or in the 21st century of conversations, this is a marvelous text. And these two-point outlines are what I think are simple and clear as it relates to these affirmations and denials. The two outline points are these. The litmus test of the Spirit of God, believing and affirming that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, verses 1 to 3. And then secondly, the listen test of the Spirit of truth, speaking and hearing that Jesus Christ's apostles have come from God, verses 4 through 6. Very easy, very simple, very straightforward. And by litmus test, of course, I mean that there is something which explicitly and ultimately denies the essence of who Jesus really is, as over against those who define Him differently and aberrantly, which by that difference denies the essence of who He is. We hear a lot about litmus tests today. Of course, that's borrowed from our old chemistry class. You'll hear maybe a congressman say something like, well, I don't believe that the litmus test for a Supreme Court judge ought to be the matter of where he stands on abortion. It's borrowed, of course, in that it signifies that which ultimately defines something. And that which is the litmus test of Christianity is whether or not you define Jesus Christ in the way that John does here. And by the listen test, I mean that there are persons who rightly represent the person of Christ to others, and there are those who listen to such an affirmation, and they believe it, and they affirm it, and they obey it, and they live it out. And of course, there are those in the listen test who disregard those who rightly represent Christ, and by their disregarding of that message, they don't really hear what is being spoken to them. And we need to return to the Johannine truth of the person of Christ and His work and those who rightly represent Him. The apostolic band. John and his associates, his colleagues, the other disciples, the other apostles who rightly represent the person of Christ. And John, as it were, is standing in this text as their representative. And so there is the litmus test defining precisely who Christ is, and there is the listen test, listening carefully to those who are speaking a good word about Christ. Let's look again at that outline point as I have introduced it to you, the litmus test of the Spirit of God, verses 1, 2, and 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Listen to this. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. 
And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Here's the litmus test. The spirit of God's litmus test. Believing and affirming that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and all that entails. And of course, it's opposite, denying such a reality. And while it is true, of course, that these affirmations and denials don't communicate everything about what we are and what we believe as Christians, John nevertheless constitutes for us what at least must be initially and essentially affirmed and proclaimed by Christians. And notice how John does this. He begins in the negative. He begins by stating a prohibition. What does he do? He starts by telling his beloved disciples that they must be warned about those who say they are genuinely from God, but who are not from God. Notice how he does it. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Now that's a an interesting and somewhat strange way to begin a gospel presentation. You may not have thought about it like this, but this really is a gospel presentation. It's John presenting the person of Christ, and while he's not defining all that there is about Christ, certainly it is implied in his phrase, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's the gospel. And yet John, interestingly, starts off, as it were, this gospel presentation by telling them that they should not believe something. And that strikes me as rather interesting in the 21st century in which we live. Because how soon, how long, how has it been that you and I have heard someone, like, for instance, a media evangelist, a televangelist, a, a radio preacher, a, a television preacher, a someone saying in any context and in any way, well, I'll tell you what you should not believe. This is what you can't believe to go to heaven. This is what you must not affirm in order to go to glory. And this is the very first thing John does here. Do not believe every spirit. By the way, this is an imperatival command. I command you not to believe, as your grandmother said, everything that you hear. That's a, an old adage that still rings true, especially when it comes to something as important and fundamental and essential as the gospel and what is not the gospel. And so... He says, by using this word believe, there's something that you should not do. And this, of course, means that there are those who oppose the true gospel message. There are denying spirits in the world who are intent on having you believe something different than what God Himself wants you to believe. There are competing messages. And this is the classic battle between good and evil. It's the classic battle between those who believe the good doctrine about Christ and those 
who would have you believe lies about the person of Christ. What are we to do? How are we to fight against that? It seems confusing. It seems unclear. It seems to lack clarity. As I said Friday night, from those in the postmodern context from which we are all ourselves engulfed, there are those who say even the Bible itself does not have the clarity with which we need to speak to issues of the day, like homosexuality and abortion and other things. And you'll even have so-called evangelical leaders who will say, well, the Bible is just not clear about this. In fact, even one very popular evangelical leader said recently regarding this issue of homosexuality, I believe we need to, as Christians, put a five-year moratorium on whether or not we think homosexuality is truly a sin because we really can't tell that the Bible is against it. So John comes along and he says, apparently not taking a cue from the postmodern context, don't believe every spirit. And of course, someone might readily say, even especially in our context, well, why? Aren't all paths leading to God? Aren't all roads going to heaven or bliss or the great beyond or that which is out there somewhere? Uh, Isn't it true that all roads lead to something good and wonderful and beautiful? And John says, do not believe every spirit because while it may say heaven, it doesn't go there. Doesn't go there. And someone might say, well, how do I figure out which roads lead to where? Notice what he does. Look at verse 1. This is, this is how we're to fight. This is how we're to, in the negative, disbelieve something. Notice what he says. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Test the spirits. The Greek verb dokimadzo means to examine to approve, to discern, to put to the test. So we have, according to John, competing spirits, competing messages, competing ideologies, and we are supposed to disbelieve all of them except one of them. And we do that, he says, by testing, by examining, by proving, by discerning. This is... It's a very, very fascinating idea of testing messages, testing realities, testing ideologies. Our Bible is filled with the idea of testing or approving. This idea of dokimazo is interesting. Notice what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 about this concept of testing. 1 Timothy chapter 3 in the context of talking about deacons. 1 Timothy 3.10. The assumption is that elders are to be tested, they're to be approved. And in 1 Timothy 3.10, the Bible says, and let them also, implying that elders have been tested, the qualifications have just been given by Paul to Timothy for elders, and let them, that is deacons, also be tested first, and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 Verse 5, here's another kind of testing. This is getting right at the heart of the idea of 
testing the reality of our lives. 2 Corinthians 13.5 False prophets had arisen even in Paul's own day. Those who were criticizing Paul in his ministry and having apparently some level of effect in Corinth to the degree that even Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13.5 Examine yourselves, Corinthians, to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Interesting. We're to test elders and deacons, or we're to test even our own lives as to whether or not we are in the faith. This is amazing. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 also says, just after it talks about not quenching the Spirit and not despising prophetic utterances, says, test everything carefully. Throw out the bad, affirm the good. And so this kind of testing is itself ubiquitous all through the New Testament. It's the idea of a constant, vigilant testing. And how much more so should this idea be about testing or approving or examining the messages that we hear? And that's what John is after. These spirits who want to deny the truth about Jesus are in fact spirits of demons. That's really what he's saying. They are spirits of demons who work through human instruments in order to get you to believe lies about God. Have I gotten your attention? This is, this is precisely what John is warning his readers about and precisely what we must warn ourselves about. There are doctrines of demons, spirits, messengers of Satan who want us to disbelieve the message about Jesus Christ and in that disbelieving they want our souls to perish forever. Just like they will perish forever, these demons. We know that John is telling us that these are demonic doctrines and that they're coming through human teachers because look at what he goes on to say in verse 1. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. That nails it. These spirits that he's speaking of, false prophets, false teachers, false messengers, false Christs, false messiahs. I know that's what he's referring to because in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul goes on after he talks about testing elders and deacons for the context of service in the local church. Listen to what he warns Timothy about. He says, 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves, listen to this, to deceitful spirits and teaching teachings of demons through, that's the instrumental means, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. You see how it goes? Doctrines that are spawned in their origin by Satan himself through his own instrumentation, demons, who will craft their doctrines 
and they promote that doctrine through human teachers who Paul says are really insincere liars with seared consciences. And I suppose it's like that because Satan, as crafty as he could be and as cunning as he is, would not want to write in the sky that these are doctrines of demons, right? He's not going to do that. He's going to do it through the ploy of human teachers, human instruments, but they are demonic in their origin and their consciences are seared and they're insincere liars and that doctrine of demons comes and when it comes, it is so enticing, it is so cunning, it is so crafty that we can hardly, but for the grace of God, recognize the truth. You remember in Ephesians 6, verses 10, 11, and 12, that says, We do not wage against flesh and blood, but we wage against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Our battle, my friends, is not against flesh and blood. It is against demonic doctrine spoken through insincere liars whose consciences are seared and who are so persuasive that even if by the grace of God ourselves as Christians would be duped, let alone the world, let alone the world, uh, they're duped because they don't have the Holy Spirit, they don't have the grace of God, they don't have the power of discernment, they don't have the ability to choose between right and wrong, between good and bad doctrine. And so Satan rules in that realm And if it were not by the grace of God and the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God, we would all be deceived because Satan is called the power of this world. He would delude us. And in fact, apparently it had already begun to happen to John's own readership. You remember I told you that there was a heresy called docetism. Docetism. And apparently that docetic Christology meant something like this. They affirmed the humanity of Jesus, that he was indeed a man, but they claimed that he was just a man and that somehow uh, through an emanation, uh, through some kind of coronation by the spirits, right at his baptism, he was coronated as it were, as the Son of God, and yet right before the cross... Uh, that uh, emanation was taken away because no man could die for others and certainly matter itself is evil and since Jesus was a human being and therefore made up of matter, He could not be the God-man. And so they came up with a Christological heresy, docetism, that said that at the baptism of Jesus and before the cross of Jesus, He was supernatural, but He was not before and not after. Docetism, heresy. It was one of those incipient, uh, pre-Gnostic kind of heresies uh, that became full-blown in the second century. And there were so many other heresies. And you say, well, why do you even go into detail about that? And why is that important for us? Haven't those things long been left behind? No, no, it has not. Go into Barnes & Noble. Look in the religion section. There's an entire shelf of books like the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of Peter, the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Thomas, 
And you know all of those are a part of a larger library that is called the Gnostic Library. All of those books are from the first century. And don't be swayed about the nice, jazzy, colorful cover on the books. Don't be swayed about the idea that scholars on the, on the jackets of the books have been hailing these as new gospels found. My son flipped on the television last night to one of those channels, like the History Channel, that showed a, a new program that's really been shown several times, and it's the Lost Books of the Bible. And it sounds good. It sounds historical. It sounds scholarly. It sounds academic. But they are lies. And they're doctrines of demons coming right through the airwaves, right through the cable, right through the satellite, right into your home. And they will spin their lies in your very living room. And if you're unsuspecting, you might then have cast a doubt upon the very gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we have. That's what John is arguing against. False teaching abounds about the person of Christ. And notice, what's the criteria for conducting this litmus test of the Spirit of God to the teaching we hear? Look at verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3 give us the criterion for testing these false prophets and their message. Here it is in simple form. By this you know the Spirit of God. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. I just watched myself yesterday on the internet. That show Colbert where he was interviewing Bart Ehrman who is a Duke University professor, former fundamentalist, now at best agnostic, who doubts the veracity of Scripture and has written book after book after book misquoting Jesus and all kinds of books that are now based upon not a love for the Savior but an attack on the Savior. And I Watch that, and I read this, and I said, He is not from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this, this is the litmus test. If you want to know whether someone is from God or not, you can test them by seeing whether or not they believe and affirm that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And by that implied, and who died, and who then was buried, and who subsequently was raised from the dead, because bound up in that one phrase, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, or maybe even better yet, because of the verbal idea, having come in the flesh, is the affirmation of the fullness of what His being in the flesh accomplished. It wasn't just that Jesus came as a man. What did He do as a man? He lived a perfect life. And He died an ignominious death. And yet he was raised from the dead to prove that he in fact was no mere man, but that he was the God-man and that he's come in the flesh to redeem humanity, a sinful humanity who need to repent of their sins and who need to believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is and by believing in him you might have life in his name. That's what it means to affirm, to believe in Jesus Christ. That's the litmus test 
of the Spirit of God. If you want to know you're a part of the Spirit of God, if you want to know you have an association with the Spirit of God, if you want to know that the Spirit of God resides with you, you can know that because you're believing and affirming that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. You know, this is so much an important part of our Bibles that the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you can't even say Jesus is Lord unless the Spirit of God resides in you. Did you know that? Now, I don't mean just the phrase Jesus is Lord because obviously even unbelievers can say the phrase Jesus is Lord, but you mean it. You believe it. You affirm it. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, You know that when you were pagans, speaking to the Corinthians, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God or by the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. You can't even say, you can't even mean, you can't even affirm that Jesus is Lord that He's the God-man, that He's fully human and fully divine, unless the Spirit of God has regenerated your heart, brought you to new life in Christ, and that you're affirming these things because that's what you believe and that's what you would die for. That's, That's affirming. That's believing. That's the litmus test of Christianity. If you're not here today in that sense, like the rest of us, that you believe and affirm that Jesus is the Christ then that means that whatever you believe, whatever it is, you believe in the doctrines of demons. Whatever it is. You say, well, I don't even have a philosophy of life. Well, guess what? That philosophy of life and not having a philosophy of life is a philosophy of life. That's a doctrine of a demon. That's a a demonic doctrine through hypocritical liars, insincere liars who are seared in their consciences, who have duped you into believing that anything other than the true doctrine of Jesus Christ is to be believed as over against the true nature of who Christ is and what He's done in this world. That's right. That's right. You want to know in just one verse what the Bible teaches as to what John is saying right here? 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3.16. Very easy. This is what he says. This is... This is the doctrine of the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Here's what he says. Great indeed, we confess. Here's our confession. It's the mystery of godliness. Here it is. He, referring to Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. That's the gospel. That's the great confession of the church. That's what the Bible Church of Little Rock believes. That's why we test those who come for membership. And we say, is that your confession? Is that what you believe? Is that what you affirm? And they, by becoming members, say, this is what I affirm and believe. This is what I hold to. This is the confession of my life. I want to join this group because this is the collective affirmation and the confession of this group that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. John has said it repeatedly and will say it repeatedly through 1 John. As we have read it and will read it, it's Jesus Christ, those who believe in Jesus Christ, that He's come in the flesh. You believe God. You abide in God. God abides in you. The Holy Spirit abides with you because you believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's what you affirm. That's what you believe. 
Guess what? If you don't affirm that, then you deny it. You deny it. These are affirmations and denials. Every spirit, John says, that does not confess Jesus, what I've just said, is not from God. Somebody says, wow, that's, that's harsh. That's really harsh. That's unloving. That's unkind. That, wow. I mean, you know, it's one thing for you to believe that Jesus is who you claim Him to be, that you proclaim Him to be, but you, you can't tell me that if I don't believe that, that I'm not from God, that I don't have a relationship with God, that I don't love God. What does He say? Every spirit that does not confess Jesus, this Jesus who has come in the flesh, is not from God. Wow. And if you think that that's harsh, how about the next sentence? This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Incredible. If you do not believe and affirm that Jesus Christ has come to this earth in human form, which also, of course, implies His heavenly preexistence in order to live as a man among men, and who subsequently lived as a perfect man and who died for sinners upon a cross in order to pay the punishment of those sinners. And then also he rose from the dead to prove that he is fully divine. If you don't believe that, it is tantamount to believing and affirming what every false prophet believes and affirms. And that is a denial of what I just said. If you don't believe it, you deny it. Now that's, what, that's not what we're going to hear. You're going to hear in this culture of ours, yes, well, can't I affirm something without denying its opposite? Well, even logically, that's ridiculous. How can you affirm something but also affirm its opposite? You can't. It's the law of non-contradiction. If, if something is A, then it can't be B. And if you believe A, then you can't also at the very same time and in the very same way believe B. can't do it. If you deny who Jesus truly is, then you're not from God. And this is why we speak of affirmations and denials. John says it is this very denial that is actually the work of the spirit of the Antichrist. Look at chapter 2, verse 18. This is what he says. Children... It is the last hour. Can you, can you hear the urgency in John? It's the last hour. And you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. We know that the last hour is coming. Verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. You see, if you think it's the last hour, if there's urgency in your voice, if there's immediacy in your step, you're going to warn everybody that you know that if you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He's come from the living God, that He lived a righteous life, that He died a horrible death as a payment for sinners, and if you don't preach that message, and on this day that He was raised from the dead then you don't really care. You, you don't really believe. You don't really affirm. And if you, if you walk out these doors and you know someone is on their road to hell because they don't believe that, they've disbelieved it, they don't affirm it, it's a denial of theirs. 
John says, they're a liar. Because they deny that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. This is, this is something that's been going on since antiquity. False prophets. Doctrines of demons. You remember back all the way in Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy chapter 13 This is the warning all the way back in ancient Israel. There's nothing new under the sun. This is is what has been a warning from the very beginning. In chapter 13, verse 1, If a prophet, talk about false prophets going out in the world, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you, This is ancient Israel. This is the instruction for them and gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now this is amazing. This is somebody who is saying something, but he's also conjuring up what appear to be valid signs and wonders. And it says in verse 2 that he tells you, and it comes to pass. So he says something with his words, but then when he does this false sign, false wonder, and he tells you, let's follow after other gods than Yahweh God. Even if he does a sign and a wonder that appears miraculous, but with his words he denies the reality of who Yahweh is, that he is the only God, that he's the self-existent one, then you disbelieve him, you disregard him, you put him away from you because the Lord is testing you. Verse 4, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. By that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, he shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so shall you purge the evil from your midst. even says in chapter 18, verse 13, You shall be blameless before the Lord your God, for the nations which you are about to dispossess listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. The Lord will raise for you up a prophet like me. And of course, that's Moses. And you should listen to him. But don't listen to others if they don't teach you, if they don't preach to you that Yahweh God is God. And in our New Covenant context, if they don't preach to you that Jesus is Lord, they are a false teacher, a false prophet, and you are to avoid them at all cost. For to believe in them is to deny the reality of who Jesus is. That's that's what's happening. And you know... No matter how many faithful preachers preach against such things and no matter how good doctrine is being solidified by solid books and materials and media, it still will not ultimately stamp out all false teaching. It's true. Even in the book of Revelation. Even at the end. Even at the end of the age, there are going to be false prophets and false teachers Revelation 16 says that there will be. Even John here says, verse 3, 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. We have to be warned. John's warning us. And I'm warning you. That's the litmus test. And there's also a listen test. Look at verses 4 through 6. Little children, you hear the pathos in his voice? Passionately speaking to his readers. Little children, I know that there are multitudes of false teachers out there, false prophets who would ply their trade, who would try to seduce you. But I want to encourage you, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, these false teachers. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. Contrastatively, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. That's John and the apostles and their colleagues. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Isn't it interesting that he says, by this you know the Spirit of God, by affirming that Jesus is the Christ, He's come in the flesh, and by this we know the Spirit of error, because they don't listen to our message. They don't don't follow our message. They don't believe. They don't agree. But we know about you. You have overcome. You're from God. You listen to us. By this we know the Spirit of God because you listen. You listen to our message. The apostolic message. You listen to it. You know it. You believe it. You affirm it. Oh, and I love this. He says, you've overcome. You've overcome. How does one overcome? How is it that they've overcome? I mean, you've just spit... Three quarters of the message telling us that doctrines of demons is insidious and cunning and crafty, that it's powerful and it's persuasive, and that Satan's behind it. I can't stand up against that. I can't, I can't refute that. I, Satan's far more cunning than I am. He's far more crafty. If he's that crafty, if he's so crafty that he deceived Eve... And if Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden where there was nothing but utter perfection and they had not sinned, what choice do I have? Where am I? Who am I? I can't do that. He nevertheless says, you are overcoming. You can. You will. You are. How is it? Well, look at chapter 5. Look at verse 4. Everyone who has been born of God, what? Overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It's your faith. Is it your faith and your faith? No. Verse 5, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Faith in Jesus as the one having come in the flesh. That's how you overcome. You overcome by believing and affirming the truth about Jesus. And someone's going to come along and say, but wait a minute, there are so many Jesus figures, 
So many Jesus theories. You go into any bookstore, you, you read numerous books, and around this time during this resurrection season, Newsweek, Time, all kinds of articles about who the real Jesus is, and, well, Jesus was the sage, and uh, Jesus was this, and Jesus was the prophet, and Jesus... Jesus is God. And if you believe that Jesus is God and you have faith in the object of your faith, which is Jesus Christ, the one who died, was buried, and raised again from the dead, that is the very victory that John says overcomes the world. That's how you know. That's how you believe. That's how you overcome. And still somebody may say, but I'm a human being and Satan is while not a perfect being and while not an omniscient being and while not an all-powerful being is nevertheless a far greater being than I am. I might grant you that. And there might be those even in John's day who say, even my faith when it sometimes seems so feeble and I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I do believe that He has He has come in the flesh and I I do believe that He's coming again and yet sometimes it even seems as though my faith is not enough to even conquer my own sin let alone satanic devices of magnificent proportions. How am I going to get through? How am I going to deal with this? John knows that. Notice what he says. He who is in you is greater than he is. Who is in the world. Okay. Maybe you're not strong enough. Maybe I'm not strong enough. I grant you that. Oh, I, I believe. And I want to study my Bible. And I want to pray. And I want to worship. And I want to give. And I want to serve. And I want to evangelize. And I want my faith to grow. And I want it to mature. And I want to be able to say that my faith alone is that which overcomes the world. But I know I need more than that. I know that. And John says, you are from God. You've overcome the evil one. Yes, you have. And when your faith runs out, when it's not as you want it to be, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Oh, and I praise God for the greater. The greater. You see, Satan isn't all-powerful, but the greater, the Holy Spirit, Christ Himself, is greater because He is all-powerful. He is all-wise. He is all-loving. Satan cannot do anything unless God bid him to do it. God is greater. The Spirit of God is greater. I mean, no, no wonder we're told We're of God because anybody who's of God and anybody who has faith in Jesus and anybody who has the greater Holy Spirit needs all of those affirmations to get us through the idea that we can, in fact, battle the forces of spiritual wickedness. Because left to ourselves, can we do it? Is it possible? We need someone greater than ourselves. We can't muster up enough enough confidence and enough faith and enough believing and enough maturity and enough sanctification to be able to, to go against Satan and his wily devices. We need someone who is greater in us 
than he who is in the world. Oh, yes, we have that. We have that. We can't overcome, and we will. And this world, they speak a different message. You want to know the listen test? Here's how we listen. We're of God, overcomers, and we believe in the greater one who's greater than Satan himself. That's how we listen. That's how we know. That's how we know the spirit of truth. That's how we know. Look at those denials. Look at the verses 5 and 6. They, these false teachers, people who believe them, people who hear them speak, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. Speaking and hearing. False teachers speak. False believers listen. That's the way it is. That's their audience. That's their message. That's who they listen to. They don't listen to us. We speak, we speak a word of the gospel. They don't listen. They don't heed. They don't believe. John says, we are of God. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. He's so black and white. So black and white. He's just setting up the dichotomy. And if you and I are those who are of God, we're from God, we listen to the Word of God. We love the Word of God. This is, this is an opportunity for me to exhort all of you that you ought to be coming here all the time. Every time the doors are open, you ought to be here because you want to listen to the voice of your shepherd. You want God in your life. You want all that you can get. You want to read all that you can. You want to meditate upon the pure milk of the Word of God. You want all of it because you want to listen to the voice, not of the world, but of the voice of God. You want that. You long for that. And that's why its opposite, its denial is so evident because if someone doesn't want to do that, it may very well be because they speak from the world. They listen to the world. They're not from God. This is incredible. These are affirmations and denials. Affirmations. We are Christians because we believe and affirm that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. We are from God. We are overcomers. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We who know God listen to the apostolic message of truth, the very truth that Jesus is God in human flesh. Affirmations. Denials. The world denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. The world is not from God. They will not overcome, and Satan is not greater than the Spirit of God. Those who deny Jesus are from the world. They speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. Whoever is not from God does not listen to John and the other apostles of Jesus or anybody else. And by these series of affirmations and denials, you can readily know the spirit of truth from the spirit of error. What about you? You say, well, I don't know. I haven't made up my mind. Well, you might be very well like one of those who's going to go out of here and you don't know. And you don't know about your life. And you don't know about your future. Just last week, one of the boys on my son Logan's athletic teams Good young man, vibrant believer, mom and dad who love the Lord, 
Father, not feeling well, taken to the hospital, dead. Embolism. Love the Lord. He's in glory. Loves Jesus Christ. Affirmed that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and was ushered into His eternal dwelling. Sadness here. Affirmation there. What about you? Going to walk out? Going to go into that stormy weather? You going to know where your eternal destiny lies? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you love Him? Do you affirm that He's come in the flesh? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrected Savior of the world? If you affirm that, you, like John, can say, I believe, I affirm, I passed the litmus test, and I listened to the apostolic message. If you don't, you have absolutely no assurance, even as you sit, that you will do nothing other than spend eternity in hell because you deny who Jesus Christ is. Weighty words, weighty matters. Find out by asking God those questions. Let's pray together. Father, we want to know. By this, we know the Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of truth. Give us that knowledge that we affirm and obey the tests. Give us the knowledge that we can know that the Holy Spirit resides with us. Don't let us deny If we deny, we're a liar because we've denied that Jesus is the Christ. May we not deny. If you are a denier, even if you haven't made up your mind, you're a practical denier even as you sit. Don't deny. Affirm that Jesus is the Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.